0: Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your Week in IndyCar Listener Q&A show. It is 6.05 p.m. on Tuesday, October the 17th. We're going to get rolling with your questions here right off the jump. Say a big thank you as always to our pal Jerry Siddeth who compiles them. Put out a late call for questions, so didn't have a ton. Jerry says we got 18 total, some of them similar on the same exact topic, so we don't need to get through all 18. Say a big thank you as well to our show partners, Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and Discount Tire. Then finally to y'all, quick note as well, getting more and more inquiries about, hey, how do I join the Pruday Listener Group? Those fun and wacky folks who joined around the show and become really good friends and communicate every day via discord channel and etc it's prudayrocks at gmail.com that's where to send your email but to make things even easier instead of reading it out every show just look in the show description dropping the email address in there for you to make it real easy never have to wonder where it is the correct spelling etc it's all in the show description send an email they will you'll get a auto response back i believe telling you how to join in and off you go new racing family that you're a part of so here we are let's play podcast and uh see how long it takes to get through your questions and the first one oh we got many of these on this exact topic our pal jeremiah morrell hello to you jeremiah and the mighty amazing other half of the uh power team sarah Morrell as well uh luis you asked and some others too uh referencing a bit of a PR media snafu this morning by our friends at Hunkos Hollinger Racing, which was supposed to formally, globally, and proudly announce driver for next season's IndyCar competition. And, oh boy, there was a little bit of pooping in the bed. Uh, So that's the context of what's being asked by Jeremiah, who says, how bad are the technical difficulties at Hunkos Hollinger Racing? I'll hang up and listen okay uh i get. got to give you a little bit of a backstory here very quick one but just so you understand i left last tuesday a week ago for motul petit Lamont at michelin raceway road atlanta and was cranking basically the moment that i got up wednesday morning i think the alarm went off at seven which keep in mind i'm coming from california so 7 a.m. Eastern, 4 a.m. Pacific, so I'm getting up real early body clockwise, and I don't think I got back to the hotel till like 9 30, 10 something like that it was up till one o'clock, two o'clock. That happened pretty much every following day except I was getting up earlier and sometimes getting back much later. Saturday night after the race, uh, I don't think I got back to the hotel until 1:30 in the morning, something like that um, showered and did all that stuff was maybe in bed by two thirty, asleep by three alarm went off at six three and a half hours of sleep got up went and filmed the final episode of the win the weekend documentary done by michelin and imsa on the inaugural gtp season that took a couple hours lots of coffee then blasted over to chateau law put on a suit yes folks there's photo and video evidence of me wearing a suit believe it or not um And hosted IMSA's inaugural Hall of Fame brunch, which was an honor and amazing, and did that for a couple hours. Then jetted to the airport, had nothing but travel madness, and instead of getting home at 11.30 on my original flight plan, I think I got home at, I don't know, 1.30, 2 a.m. Again, maybe I landed, I should say, 1.30 or 2, was home by maybe 3, yada, yada, yada. Was up not too many hours later. Busy day, Monday. And so just sharing that exhausted, cracked out, body clock way off. I'm on East Coast time. I mean, I'm all over the place. But one of the things I was able to do was connect with our guy, Ricardo Juncos. Had seen, heard, or whatever that there was an announcement coming for Tuesday, rang Ricardo. He and I have an old, really great relationship. A lot of what we do is, you know, very between us or off the record or whatever kind of the norm um but with all that note it had said hey had heard there's a driver announcement tomorrow um I, I thought it might be leaning towards groschon i don't know um but had had a couple indicators in recent days that it wasn't but regardless um had a sneaking suspicion it might have been augustine canapino but ricardo and i have have Again, always had a lot of respect for each other, taking good care of each other however we can. And in this instance, as he has done many times before, I said, hey, hold on to this, okay? Don't go run this right now and post it. I said, hold on to this, but you're welcome to go with the driver uh, signing or returning or whatever you should phrase that news 10 minutes before our official release goes out. Been doing that for years. It's been really kind of him, and so there you go. So he said, "This is going out at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. California." Said you're welcome to go 10 minutes early. Like, cool, got it. So wrote the story Monday night, filed it with the embargo instructions of 9:50 a.m. Eastern, 6:50 California, and went on about my night working on racer mailbag questions. I think there was some bad football being played and uh fell asleep whatever whatever coming back to the still being a little cracked out and all over the place on sleep um i'd wanted to get up uh before it went live but ended up waking up six minutes after 6:56 a.m and woke up grabbed my phone saw that it was live on the site and said okay cool everything worked on rare, rare occasions, the auto-posting that the editors set up doesn't work as desired. I mention this because I am constantly reminded that folks aren't aware of this. I don't post anything uh, on any of my client sites. I don't actually have access, right? You'd have to, I once upon a time, like seven, eight years ago, I had access Login credentials and all that to the uh, CMS content management system, but uh, I don't. So everything I nor, same with social media again, no access to any of it. Post nothing. Anything that I write is sent via email, received by the web editors. They do their thing, come up with headlines, post the story, set things to auto post. They're embargoed. We do many embargoed stories per week, so kind of a normal routine. Here it is. Here's the embargoed time. It's usual. I usually do it all caps in the email subject header, uh, the date, the time embargo and all caps and drop it into the top of the body of the email too. So it's impossible to miss. And again, it's a pretty routine thing. Um, then you forget about it. You move on to the next thing. Woke up, saw it was live, said, cool. Let me go. All right. Now that I know that that did work and again, went up whatever it was six minutes ago, um, let me check emails. And I see an email from the Hunkos Hauling Racing Team's PR rep at 4.30 in the morning, California, 7.30 Eastern. Here's the embargoed press release. Um, like, okay, great. It's got a quote, so I'll fire that in here to be used. But the rest of it I'd already written and submitted. And then there was an email at, I think, 6.17 a.m. California, 9 17 Eastern, said, Hey, we we're having technical difficulties. Please don't publish. So of the many things I was doing at 6 17 AM Pacific, one of them was not being awake. Um, didn't have any missed calls, didn't have any missed texts or any of that stuff. So uh the communication was sent by email and okay uh so i sent texts and email right away to the editor saying hi please unpublish got a call from ricardo right away saying hey please anything you can do to take it down uh we've had a tech technical difficulty i'm like okay um i don't recall because legitimately i'd been a (laughs) i'd been awake for one minute uh when i started texting and emailing saying please unpublish at the team's request it's all part again of just being a good citizen you know trying to be give and take in the relationship and they're asking unpublishing's really not a thing that will make anybody happy but i did impress upon the editorial team all good folks that yes uh In their words, this makes us look like idiots, right? Anytime you put up a story and then take it down, it leads to nothing but questions. What did you guys do wrong? It must be you on the outlet side that screwed something up. Um, Fully understood, fully agreed that yes, we're probably going to catch the heat or the slings and arrows or be called idiots, but this team takes good care of us and we will do in kind at their request for whatever problem they're having. Please pull this down. Don't delete it. Just unpublish it. And we'll wait for them to come back and say when they've got things figured out. Everything's good. Put it back up. couple of issues in here. So things that I've learned, just learned them today. Um, racer.com has some larger media entities uh, relationships with them where those entities draw some of the content that we create and post that on their bigger, non sports, just kind of wide general sites, new sites like Apple, Yahoo, some others, right? So that process doesn't stop because Racer unpublishes a story. Again, thing I didn't know, thing I learned. So when that went up, went live um apple news which is a pretty big thing apparently grabbed the story posted it there you go same with yahoo and wherever else and so that's not a thing where there's any kind of easy mechanism where you'd say hey oh call fred over at apple news and they'll unpub no that that ship had set sail and it was not coming back to the dock um apparently as well really look at the social media side of what racer is posting because it's not a big deal but uh, i'm not really tracking that apparently they do as they normally do when a new story goes live on the website and that is run the full social uh posting across all the various platforms where racer racer um participates and so got a call from ricardo saying hey could you please whatever you could take it down said yep uh, i'll reach out right now he said Something along the lines of, uh, and I don't know if it was human error or uh, computer error, but it sounded like the team's entire email distribution list, hundreds of people, thousands, who knows, that would receive this press release. It sounds like that list died, was deleted, disappeared, corrupt. I don't know the answer. I just know that what was meant to go out at 10 a.m. Eastern to this big massive network of people whether it's media folks whether it's sponsors and partners and families and friends every team has their list they're constantly adding to it constantly trying to reach more and more people so whatever they send out sees as many eyeballs as big of an impact as possible Um, for reasons unknown that big important list that was meant to be used to disseminate this press release at 10 a.m was either deleted by a human being, corrupted, a hard drive failed, I don't know. But the team's ability to send this out to its full and wide network that it does with all of its press releases was not possible. Hence, the somewhat panicked, please stop, please don't send out, that came out at 6.17 a.m. while I was asleep. And that is why, on the racer side... This story went up as it should have. And the minute I woke up and saw this, and I will admit, I am proud of myself for waking up before seven. And I was groggy as could be, but I was like, all right, man, you got to get up and get going. Even if, I mean, I've, I don't know, this might sound cranky or whiny, but I am now technically into my off season. And all I want to do is have a day, if not a week off. But there's, some work that needs to be done. So I haven't done that yet. But everything my body is fighting me and saying, dude, stop working. But anyways, I still got up at 6 56 a.m. which I was proud of, but then saw that, oh boy, okay, uh, we gotta set this whole thing in reverse and started that process. Then got a call from the team's PR rep who was a little cranky about things. Because I guess the story itself was still sitting atop racer's site main featured position in the rotator uh, with a headline. But you clicked on it and it said the link is broken or oops doesn't work. And so that was supposed to be cleared as well moments after I sent my request. But apparently that wasn't working correctly. So they had to do some sort of forced recache boot or something like that um and so it took a little over half an hour for that to come down off of racer um the socials were deleted yada 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 so that and i realize it's maybe (laughs) a weird strange inside baseball story but that is indeed what happened now i guess sadly some folks screen capped the i think the twitter or x post by racer um and so that went around and as i mentioned on one or two of the large sites which we have no ability to control or ask to take down content in any kind of efficient way it stayed up so yeah uh i wish i was awake at six seventeen a.m to receive an email but uh yeah so not sure if the on the pr side if they knew that uh i and we aren't sitting in eastern time zone but regardless um yeah and the amount of people who've asked i've had indycar drivers reach out asking wtf what what went on i've had a lot of pr reps ask as well because you know i must admit i think they all take a little bit of joy in watching other people's failures um but yeah there you go so i don't know if any of that's amusing I didn't find it the least bit amusing because for the first 22 minutes I was awake today, 21 of those were dealing with this crisis and phone calls and emails. And I think by the end of those 22 minutes, I'd had two to three emails on top of the phone call from the PR rep and Ricardo Like, so anyway, so it was kind of a wake up and, ah, so here we go. That's, uh, but here's the thing. Oh, by the way i've asked followed up this afternoon like hey you got a new posting time for this and said nope so i have no idea when this story will go live again or be confirmed confirmed or whatever i have no idea uh this part i am i'm not laughing but it's just like you know come on man it's freaking october 17th right like we're not even supposed to be dealing with this kind of nonsense but uh, it is the off season and uh yeah, I guess we could even have drama here over something as silly as confirming something really awesome and fantastic. So there you go. Uh, let's go to our pal, Danielle Canton. Uh, Andrew Miller, Matthias Ventola, and others also asked say Please report who the drivers for Juncos Hauling Racing will be in 2024. Say do you think it's a debate between Grosjean and IWAT to see who goes alongside Canapino? um uh garen porter how you doing garen you say marshall thoughts you and your family and thing of dan weldon today anniversary of losing our guy say uh, i think it was yesterday but uh regardless um i'm not sure what day again i'm a little cracked out said you mentioned last week that we shouldn't be surprised if romagro shaw ends up at hunkos hollinger you say i'd like to see roman back but whose seat would he be getting as i like both current hunkos drivers was pretty convinced that he was going to be taking Augustine's seat I uh, had just heard over and over and over again from very great sources that the funding side was really struggling there's a well, political things going on in Argentina and some other things that are had been making funding a bit of a problem uh, leading to the very possible need to search elsewhere um, you might say well but if there's funding that would come with Canapino from whichever Argentinian businesses, state support, whatever it is, tourism, if there were serious dollars coming with Canapino and that fell through, why would you go get Groschamp, who brings zero dollars? You'd actually have to pay him a couple million. As I've heard it told, there's a belief that with a Groschamp on your roster, you would be able to attract plenty of sponsors who want to be involved knowing that his international profile is still really strong despite being three however many years out of F1. So again, more of a okay, we got to pay but there would be some real income opportunities here that we would not otherwise uh, have with anybody else on the open market right now. So To your points or questions, though, Danielle, Andrew, Matthias, Garen, and so on, we know, because Ricardo's told us this on the record, that he and Brad Hollinger have Callum signed through 2024. Ricardo has said, in print, I think in English, I know for sure, to Spanish uh, speaking outlets, that he's holding off on confirming callum until funding for that ride is solidified i think that funding is solidified in particular through the relationship with mclaren but yeah i think we're going to have to wait just a little bit on this i do with the Positive Augustine news and funding news there think that having the same lineup next year, carryover lineup of Augustine and Callum, is the most likely at this moment. We know, again, they have Callum under contract. I wouldn't pretend to know what mechanisms are in that contract if by chance they say, hey, we can't afford to run you but we can't afford to run groschon who we think can find sponsors again there's some of this stuff that isn't all adding up to me especially with this new strategic strategery relationship between hunkos hollinger racing and mclaren um i gotta believe the money's there for callum to be run sponsors etc etc um through this mclaren relationship but what we haven't had from mclaren or hunkos hollinger is a confirmation of who'll be driving it and so until that is done i am sitting here wondering exactly who indeed will be placed in that car so i think it's callum and we are waiting for the formal publish it again uh, augustine news but yeah um if not Hunkos Hollinger, I'm not exactly sure what Roman's options are with an IndyCar. Uh, we know that there was something there that I don't know how close it was to being a thing with Dale Coyne. But if Roman is not going to Hunkos Hollinger, uh, I continue to hear that there are some really big paydays that Dale is wanting for anybody uh, who'd be driving his cars would say that true competitiveness and the ability to be on podiums and maybe even win would not be an option with any of those drivers. If Dale still truly wants to be competitive, having lost David Malukas, who was by far the most competitive driver he had last year, I mean, you could look to a Christian Rasmussen. You could look to a Oliver Askew, both of whom we know who are in play potentially. Uh, one only and maybe even both at Ed Carpenter Racing, but who knows? Romain Grosjean, sure as heck stands out as someone who, having driven for the team, they know what he is and that they can be fast with him. So, if it's not JHR, I gotta think... DCR is really the last bastion of of potential that comes to mind um, for him to continue his IndyCar career in 2024. Uh, I keep hearing that there's some better, bigger options in 25, but uh, I'm worrying about the season that's closest to happening, not the one after that. Our guy, Kurt Pose, one of the great volunteer corner workers and also just a really nice guy. Kurt says, is there an advantage for the teams in IndyCar that also have a GTP and IMSA, a GTP program? Is there an advantage in adjusting to the hybrid platform in IndyCar next season? Or the different electric motors and the difference between a prototype and open wheel? Is it too big? say, wishing you and the family a great offseason. Thank you, Kurt. Um, I mean, there's nothing negative for a Andretti, Ganassi, Penske, or Rahal. Uh, or Shank, who've been centrally involved in this inaugural season of hybrid GTP racing, and anything they will have learned there to try and apply an IndyCar, it might be more along the the practices side, right? How to interact with the system, safety stuff, mechanical side. I think where the real differences are going to make this not exactly a like for like thing where boy the the indycar teams with gtp programs are going to have a big leg up in gtp the energy storage and energy deployment it's a pretty automated thing systems kind of sort of doing a lot of the work without the driver being involved not all but the majority in indycar for a lot of what i've heard there's probably going to be a lot of driver involvement some manual options some automated options we'll see where indycar leans on the harvesting side whether they let folks decide you want it automated you want it manual you want both you know pick and choose Uh, this i think becomes a much bigger point of strategy in indycar than what we've seen in gtp kurt and so it's for that where once indycar sets the rules on how you can and can't harvest when you can and can't deploy that electronic horsepower who knows if they're going to restrict anything um we still have to wait on the rules of usage that indycar comes up with but I know from the drivers who've tested it that I've spoken with for a little while now, they all expect this to have the real potential to change strategy in a very significant way. And that means driver, driver involvement in how to use, when to use, optimal time, right? Uh, Where to use it on track, where not to use it. You know, if you get caught behind a back marker at this corner, uh use whatever energy you have stored to get past them that will help your lap time the most uh whereas if you catch them over here save it don't use it just use the uh the internal combustion engine power to try and overtake them um yeah i do think we're going to see kurt oh boy this is going to take a while for us to figure out all the ways in which you can use hybridization to your race strategy advantage and keep in mind some folks are going to get it totally wrong and fail from a strategy standpoint that's going to be the fun part to open the season who has really great ideas that they've maybe game planned a little bit in testing or whether it's on track testing or driver in the loop simulation like yeah so some of those things some of those things apply in IMSA as well right the where to use when not to use on track based on scenarios of who you catch when and where and what's going to help you set the ultimate lap time during you know when you're catching traffic and so on again I think some of those things are definitely going to give the IndyCar teams over in IMSA a bit of an advantage there but keep in mind half of the full-time IndyCar teams are running GTP programs or have so yeah there'll be a little bit something there but also, it's basically IndyCar's biggest teams all doing this with the exception of Aero McLaren. So those who aren't, barring Aero McLaren, that team does have plenty of hybrid experience, though, in Formula One, also Extreme E. Um, now Formula E, I think they're going to be okay, but it's the smaller teams who have no hybrid experience whatsoever where I think we're going to see a strategery void, or I should say gap, that's maybe bigger than we've seen in a really long time. Those who've never used it are going to have to learn on the fly. Um, that's probably where we're going to see some more separation in race mode. Uh, Gordon Martinez, the hybrid oval testing concerns, specifically speed compared to the current cars, and the ability to harvest and utilize energy. Is it overblown or valid? Um, I think there's more validity here than not. Also, this was the very first test of the 2024 energy recovery system on a super speedway. So, again, the reason they go testing is to learn stuff. Find out what works, what doesn't, what limitations there might be. I mean, I'd heard for a little while before the test definitely but for a little while that you know there there are some things that aren't exactly amazing and are certainly ripe for some solutions to make this the system perform help the car to perform at a higher level in every way Um, and maybe there are some issues there Uh, not saying big issues but again you hear these things you know Go running. Oh, my God. Sky is falling. But what I need to dig into here, Gordon, this is just another thing where I've been stuck pretty heavily into IMSA for the last, I mean, since days after the IndyCar season finale. you to have some more conversations to learn some more. Ask some difficult questions to a variety of folks and see what responses I get. Decide where the level of truthiness falls within those answers and such and get a feel for things but i believe i shared in one or two of the hybrid videos i've done so far and i got a couple more i need to knock out here asap the design for next year inaugural hybrid season in indycar it's not meant to be the fairly impressive 100 horsepower number we were thinking was going to happen probably going to be i don't know we'll see 50 60 something like that it's not a small number it's comparable to what the previous push-to-pass system that being extra turbocharger boost uh, did so keeping that in mind it's kind of replacing roughly the amount of horsepower punch you got from turbo push-to-pass with electric push to pass okay well so if it's a like for like right and again you know with we'll see what the final horsepower number is for the ers stuff but it's there's not a big difference i guess is the way i'd put it knowing that there's really not a big difference well then you'd say well shouldn't the performance be just about the same you go yeah but carrying around about an extra 60 pounds or so so that weight certainly is not going to improve vehicle speed um Then you start to have questions of well, is there any extra mechanical drag caused by the system? You know, what are there other factors that might pull down straight line speed, right? Coming out of a corner, you got a big raging engine and gearing in the car that helps it accelerate in a very impressive manner. Um, You've got that electronic horsepower punch, right? So coming out of the corners, um, you're probably going to be seeing a whole bunch of steam and fury and speed like we have it's more a question of yeah when you're getting to the end of the longer straights you know, is whether it's the weight your extra weight you're saddled with or any drag you might have or any of these things pulling down performance pulling down your top speeds limiting your lap speed or lap time so some of these areas where I don't have all the answers but i'm try and get them for you and publish some stuff here very soon uh related to this gtp enjoyer says how much faster do you think the hybrids will be uh, especially at a place like the indy 500 i'm not expecting them to be faster uh again not with the weight in everything that i just mentioned only way they would that i can think of would be if there was a spike in that electronic horsepower for the 500 or qualifying or something like that so i know this is uh an area that indycar is actively working on and trying to figure out right what do we do we can kind of pick the number how much power it puts out on big oval small oval road street course you know this stuff we can we can dictate how much power this thing adds what is it for how long etc you know so i don't expect things to be faster but indycar will hopefully make a decision on what to do and how to do it keep in mind these engines are still twin turbo v6s so there's nothing stopping indycar unless chevy or honda say no out of fears of reliability going down hey do they want to crank up the ice side the motors making more horsepower to maybe compensate a bit more for the hybrid weight and any of the drag there. Again, all these things are infinitely adjustable. Um, Just depends on what the series and its manufacturers decide is the right path forward for next year. Uh, Neil Doiker, how are you? You say MP IndyCar is potentially looking at changing qualifying formats. You say, with the new engine, will we see any updates? I prefer the old 30 minutes per group format from the good old days yet another great question neil uh we're in that phase where indycar is looking back at everything it did during the previous season and deciding if and what changes it might want to make it often shops some of those ideas necessarily to everybody in the paddock meaning all the team owners or team managers but they'll float ideas to a variety of folks team managers and get feedback and often make their decisions uh, after going through that process. I'd imagine this could be one of them. So don't have an answer for you on uh, October 17th, but uh, surely this is something that uh, will be debated. Uh, Thomas Gross appreciates submissions like this. Thomas says, more of a statement than a question. Looking at Big Ten football and basketball schedules, it seems NBC is committed to making Peacock work, you say there are many marquee games that are Peacock only, so they can only assume this will help IndyCar ratings next year as more users are familiar with Peacock. Yeah, it seems like they really are leaning in more and more to placing more popular content on Peacock. So I'm with you. Like, <laughs> talk about the difference between my wife and I in streaming. So been a netflix user for i don't know the exact duration but i think maybe 20 years maybe a little longer not totally sure but back in the like truly original days of they would mail dvds to you and you would watch them and there would be a return envelope and you would mail them back so long before streaming and netflix to me is my go-to Whenever we go to the Amazon fire stick or whatever um I pretty much always go to Netflix first to see what's new or interesting there habit not so for my wife there's some other uh wide ranging streaming platforms that she would that she prefers, and I just mention that because. We don't look at Peacock a lot, outside of my use of it for IndyCar, IMSA, whatever content. But it's increasing. Just it's we're looking there a little bit more often because they're placing more movies, more. We get it free along with some others with uh, the cable subscription that we have. But we're just finding our. Consumption of it is increasing naturally as peacocks becoming a little bit more diverse and they've got what WWE and some other stuff. And so I'm with you here. I think the kind of building habits folks getting in a routine of looking there more often because more of the things they like are getting placed there. I got to hope that uh, this can only help IndyCar and IMSA and whatever other Racing properties that we all might like, because you know we know that Indian NXT is there, for example. Um, it's great when you can be on a wider and more popular platform, so that folks who have a general interest in something might be compelled to watch the thing that we all love when it's not on an NBC or a bigger, wider broadcast platform reserved for one of the more niche less consumed streamers like peacock that's where you just worry a little bit right Indian XT is all but invisible to the world because of where it is broadcast stuff like that where i'm like cool i hope more people go to peacock and maybe they'll see that hey there's some cool racing stuff and discover it for the first time or go oh hey i forgot where forgot about that maybe i'll check back in so great note here thank you thomas uh, we're going to wind down here pretty quickly. Brett Keys. How you doing, Brett? Say, MP has, Indi- uh, has IndyCar recently tried to get merchandise into any big box stores? Love to be able to expose my son to toys and stuff at places other than the track. Say, also, I want an IndyCar licensed logo set. I see NASCAR, F1, and even Formula E stuff at local big box stores. The answer is, I have no clue. <laughs> um <clears throat> I would assume the answer is yes, but <coughs> I also know that IndyCar has been operating for a while now without like a dedicated VP of marketing and such. I think the duties of the former person in that role, S.J. Lutke, she uh, was responsible for a lot of pretty important things in modernizing IndyCar, really transforming a lot of what they do into more of a digital mindset than the traditional broadcast and print mindset. But to me, it's things like this, where I know they were looking for a while to find a replacement for her, had heard that nobody really stood out. I could be wrong, but I haven't heard of anybody being hired. And admittedly i'm struggling to think of who within indycar or ims would be the ones reaching out to big box stores to try and get hats t-shirts flags and whatever um into your walmart's targets or whatever else so um i'm sure they have an interest i just don't know who would be the person actually making it happen so Maybe, as often happens, I'll get an email from somebody at the series after listening to the podcast, uh, which usually goes something like, hey, idiot, here's the answer to the question. So there you go. Uh, Jonas Magnuson, MP, say Connor Daly is hinting on his podcast that the drivers aren't too excited about racing at Thermal Club. Do you have any insights into what their main concerns are? probably not too different, uh, than what we've seen expressed by a lot of fans, which is, what is this? Um, a quote, all-star race after the first race of the season. Um, okay. An all-star race where three to 4,000 fans might be there to see it, which is not much. Um, I realize this has a NBC network date on it, which is great. And I I don't really have a positive or negative opinion on this. I mean, I want to see it. I can think of, there are many things about it. Like I just mentioned, like, wait a minute, we're doing a quote, all-star race after one race. How, who's an all-star after one race? Uh, right. Like, isn't that don't most of these all-star things tend to be somewhat filtered on like who's doing well and who isn't. And okay. Anyways, um, If this thing has a really solid Nielsen rating, I'll be very happy. Nielsen ratings, TV ratings, how many folks watched, is still a very important number to sponsors and advertisers. Feeling more and more like an old-timey metric of, of importance, but it's still important. So we're not going to play in front of a big crowd, right? I'm not saying three or four thousand people is a small amount, but if you think of your average NBA game, uh, I think I just saw the attendance for the was a game three of the WNBA finals uh, between the New York Liberty and the Las Vegas Aces something like a playoffs record or a you know a record crowd you know, biggest one in 20 years or something in a super long time. And I think it was something like 17,241 people. So an NBA arena, WNBA arena, it's not small, but compared to other sports, it's, it's, you know, it's not huge. So if you think of 17,000 people and then you whittle that down to three to 4,000, um, it's kind of like the amount of people who fill up the wedge behind one of the baskets maybe um it's just not a lot so i think there's just some things about this that feel a little bit contrived okay we're going to thermal club for a test after the season started And we're concluding it with, again, a million-dollar all-star race is cool. There's some money to be made, but I think the timing of it might be what's standing out as off for whatever number of drivers, um, team owners, you name it. Um, Were this a mid-season type thing towards the end of the season, something to be really blown up and celebrated and amplified and done in front of hopefully a lot of people where you can get big raucous cheers and like i think there's just some thematic elements where you go i don't know um the track's interesting but i can tell you in all honesty i didn't really hear many drivers talk about it after we left spring training this year you'd hope to hear from more people like wow that was so cool or hey i love this there are a couple complexes at the circuit that folks really did like but right just i think this if we're talking about what connor is alluding to and the drivers that aren't so excited about it whatever amount of drivers of the feedback i've heard from drivers it's a little bit of a what is this and it's has a feeling of a little bit of a nothing burger like we're just kind of making something up to fill a big dead zone in the calendar why are we doing this to do exactly that so i mean it is truly a filling a dead zone in the calendar the fact that indycar was able to come up with a million dollar purse i think that's pretty cool the fact that nbc is willing to do broadcast of this big network broadcast i think is also really cool Let's see how it goes. Let's look at what the format, how the format plays out and the kind of knockout round and transfer into the the final. And this, like, I don't know. Let's see how it plays out. If it's super lame, trust me, IndyCar will hear it. Um, if it's not, let's keep doing it. I get why it looks strange and is being somewhat rejected privately by decent number of folks in the paddock i'm more of a glass half full guy and i get their perspective i'm not saying they're wrong to have any of those suspicions but let's go do it first right there's nothing that is going to be hurt by doing this if folks take home some decent money and the rating's good well IndyCar's the better for it and if it's not uh i know where we won't be going next in 2025 uh for such a thing let's see eric franklin resubmission per your request all right eric you say marshall hope you're recovering from a crazy travel schedule if you're going to give homework assignments for the offseason for the following teams what would they be you start off with ray hall letterman lanagan racing um bit of a obvious one maybe uh on this one eric but it's ovals we know the failure to qualify by graham at the indy 500 was just emblematic of greater issues they were facing the whole time they were slow at the open test and they were slow yet again at uh the 500 some immense work put in by the team uh led by former engineer squirrel alan mcdonald uh i'm told really really helped find the the uh, the speed that was lacking that would have kept the cars from qualifying like some immense work was found to help three of the four scrape into the field. Um, but we also know that that wasn't the only Oval where they struggled. So if they can raise their Oval game, which is not just a suggested homework assignment for me, but truly job number one by the team already in motion, they become really scary next season. You think about what they were doing already on Roden Street Courses? primarily christian lingard graham rayhall certainly towards the end of the season was really impressive yuri vips like that kid was pushing graham and lingard already after one race two races like this team has the potential to be frighteningly good if it can solve its oval problem uh penske yeah uh there's a lot going on here um Scott McLaughlin, as the top Penske driver, I hope that sends a message to his other teammates. Not only just how good he is, right? We know that. He showed us in his championship run this year how freaking good he is. But there is a massive motivation that lives within Scott McLaughlin along with glorious connection with his race engineer, Ben Bretzman, and his entire crew that delivers the kind of consistency that wins championships. Chip Ganassi Racing was on a different level this year. The fact that our guy Scotty Mack was the next best thing that can't be ignored so after molly whopping ganassi on the championship side in 2022 ganassi team turned the tables and smacked penske around pretty much nonstop in 2023 keep in mind that mclaughlin who had a couple of Bouts of adversity, right? Opening race, obviously, he and Groshaw contending for the win. They both crash. He finishes out of the top 10. What, uh, I think in the month of May was pretty bad for McLaughlin as well. But everything else afterwards. I mean, just before that, Juan at Barber, but everything else after Indy. I mean, the guy is living in the top 10, in or around the podium, um, minimal fluctuations. And then you go look at Joseph Newgarden. You go, well, McLaughlin won one race. Newgarden won, what, four? Won Texas Oval, Indy 500, both Iowa rounds, right? Ovals, big place of dominance for Penske. What's the suggestion here? Well, couple. Where RL's is get better on the ovals and wow, you guys are scary next year. Penske was not its consistently threatening self on road and street courses. Really good, obviously. Scotty winning at Barber. That's a big thing, right? And they had some decent finishes elsewhere. Scotty, what, on the podium at Laguna, if I recall. Um, But... What about Newgarden? Yeah, I think he, what, had a podium at Road America. Um, I think that might be it. What? Joseph Newgarden on a road and street course podium once in an entire season? What is going on? Um, McLaughlin is the new be like him guy at Penske. It was new garden and also had been power crazy consistent 2022 delivered his championship there but will who was able to run pretty well at a number of road and street courses right never want a race did finally get poles at iowa but zero road course poles crazy right um I say this and it might sound like a weird thing to say for a team whose drivers finished third with McLaughlin fifth with Newgarden and seventh with power. Like most every team except for Ganassi would be like, wait a minute, our drive, we have a three car team and we finished third, fifth and seventh. Like I realize it's not a championship, but boy, we're doing things more right than wrong. True. But that's not how Penske grades themselves. This year, barring those really impressive oval wins by Joseph, the Indy 500 being the big marquee thing, by and large, was a big failure. Like, they truly were in a different league, except for the ovals, than Chip Ganassi Racing. I mean, if you think about Alex Pillow, not just won the championship, but won five races. Take Scott Dixon, who won three races. Throw in Marcus Erickson, who won a race. They won nine out of 17 with three drivers. Look at Penske, who won five, five races with two. Again, that's not bad by any means. But here's where things go sideways. What was Polo's season like? The guy just lived on the podium there, thereabouts. First Worst finish of the year was a pair of eights. Dixon had that one outlier at Long Beach, but seemingly everything else was a podium or a fourth or a fifth or a sixth, something in that range. Uh, McLaughlin did super well, super, super well. Just had a few too many not great weekends where the point hauls weren't Awesome. Newgarden, king of boomer bust. And sadly, that's kind of who he's become, right? Last championship won by Joseph Newgarden, despite winning, what, five races last year, four this year, including the Indy 500. It's 2019. Like, it's been a while. Power, just a bad year. We know, heavily distracted with his wife Liz and her... Really crazy brush with death, serious medical issues. Can't hold that against Power. You truly the fact that he finished seventh. You should be applauded for that, and I mean that. But overall, Penske team closing twenty twenty three. What's the homework? Consistency, right? McLaughlin was the one person to do it, but there were a few too many thirteenth, fourteenth, sixteenth, and. A bad day when things weren't going terrible was more like seventh, eighth, ninth. Bad day for a Dixon was fifth or sixth. No, that's only a few positions, but you start adding up the points over a full season. Dixon almost a hundred points ahead of McLaughlin. Dixon finishing second in the championship. Pelot was almost a hundred points. I think it's 80 something whatever, but almost. 100 points ahead of Dixon. But forget Pillow, let's look at Scott Dixon. P2 in the championship, second for Chip Ganassi Racing. 90 points clear of Scott McLaughlin. 578 to 488. Over a 17-race season, that is a giant gap. Consistency. And then also that consistency being down in the better points paying positions, especially on Roden Street courses. That is the homework for Team Penske. Will power with Liz in a better place. I think we are certainly going to see Roden Street Course polls and him getting back into the win column. Final one here. Andretti. Boy, they got their qualifying game sorted out. They certainly demonstrated the race strategery side was a little bit all over the map. Took a while to get things sorted out there. We saw Kyle Kirkwood get to Victory Lane for them twice. Only driver within the program to get to Victory Lane. I know we've discussed that a couple times. Um, Got some some bigger issues here. Engineering-wise... I knew, we knew, Ganassi was going to be a threat everywhere. Not as big of a threat on many of the ovals. Again, Alex Pillow, Indy 500 pole winner, could easily have won that race this year. Could have won it last year. We know that Penske's really amazing on ovals, and we expect them to be competitive almost everywhere. For a team as big and as tenured As Andretti Global with such a fairly rock-solid engineering core, I didn't know where they were going to be from weekend to weekend. Their bigger rival... I I shouldn't say bigger. When I say bigger, I mean that in terms of consistent achievement. Not necessarily in dollars or how many employees they have. But Penske and Ganassi, for sure, we knew they were going to be on it and good Basically everywhere. It was strange when one of those two teams was a little bit out to lunch. Andretti? I mean, they were really good at earning polls, right? Groshaw right off the bat, at St. Pete. Kirkwood at Long Beach went on to win. Groshaw again, uh, round four. Three out of the first four races had polls by Andretti get into the middle of the season, start to get their Colton back-to-back polls, right? Mid-Ohio and Toronto. Things fall silent from there. What does that tell you? It tells you one big thing. Development-wise, team was really sharp to open the season. Then everybody else either caught up or just distanced themselves. Whatever ideas uh, they might have had were certainly put to good use to open the season, but wasn't super sustainable yeah uh race strategy closing races starting races what tires to go on when when to pit when not to pit uh duration of pit stops uh they seem like they're not far away from having a really great season but they also seem like they're miles away like Colton Herter was the best in dirt Auto autosport driver in terms of championship position. Winless, finished 10th. Kyle Kirkwood, just crazy boomer bust season, yet won two races. He was 11th. Groschon, who had a decent but terrible season, finished 13th, right? We didn't expect a lot from Devlin DeFrancisco. He finished 22nd although he showed us, right? He had some I would say really strong performances on occasion showed real driver development in a sophomore season, but keep in mind who finished ahead of Andretti Autosport: ninth place. Having just left the team, Alexander Rossi at Errol McLaren eighth place, Christian fricking loon y'all Ray Hall. And again, I don't think many of us would look back at the year and go, boy, Ray Hall was kicking ass and taking names everyone in front of them is Pensky, Ganassi, or Pato Award from Aaron McLaren in fourth. There's no season where the best <laughs> Andretti driver should be 10th. Last year, Rossi was the best in ninth. So I don't have a single or concise answer on what Andretti needs for homework. Uh, they improved qualifying for sure. But, and they led a number of races, um, won two of them, but had more go away because of strategic errors, driver not hearing the call errors, just errors. Uh, maybe that's it. Seemingly the most error-prone among the top teams. Seemingly the most error-prone or prone to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory or a podium, um, team of 2023. So, you know what makes a Penske amazing or a Ganassi amazing? It's not. There are many things that make them amazing, but of the things that make them so consistently good year in and year out is they absolutely nail the basics, right? They don't outthink themselves in strategy they don't try to do crazy stuff they don't miss this they don't do that like it's the foundation where you go boy you get all the the basics right that's when you start to open opportunities for yourself for podiums and wins and when you see an entire team 23rd one weekend third the next 19th the other seventh the next and just you go like wait a minute This is like a ping pong, like up and down and back, and like what? And you don't just see it on one car, but two cars and three cars and right. You go, okay, where is the control here? They're good people, extremely good people there. But something has gotten out of something has fallen out of their control. Because that kind of consistent inconsistency is how a team with as much, if not more, money than anybody in the paddock with drivers who have as much, if not more, talent than almost any other drivers in the paddock. You go, 10th is your best across 17 races, uh, and last year it was 9th. You've actually gone backwards, and yet you have more money, more resources, and I think are a stronger team with the inclusion of Kirkwood. Um yeah. A lot. <laughs> All right. Let's get down to our last couple of questions. Say farewell. Uh, let's see. Where do we go? Jeremy Davis. You say, with Vassar Sullivan Lexus getting the championship this past weekend in IMSA's GTD Pro class, does this help Toyota and Vassar get back into the IndyCar paddock? Um, I love questions like this, Jeremy, because I always try and figure out the con- how things connect. It's a bit like saying if my son wins a little league championship, does that mean they're going to get a football scholarship? Like, I don't know how to connect the dots here. Uh, Lexus, Toyota's luxury and performance brand, won a sports car GT championship. That's exactly what they're there to do and they've done and they'll return next year and go for more. Um why that would then lead Toyota to spend tens upon tens upon tens and tens of millions of dollars to go IndyCar racing. Uh I don't I don't know how to link that together my brother. So the answer would be no. Um Toyota had opportunities to come into IndyCar, had big costs brakes on it and assistance and all kinds of stuff and within the last year or so year and a half they said no so winning a championship in IMSA with Lexus would have zero connectivity to anything they might want to do in IndyCar so uh, this is just something to cheer and support our friends at Vassar Sullivan because they've been trying to make this happen for a while and finally did it uh, Joey Morante Joey feels like this might be your first question. If not, I apologize. You say has the delay in Andretti Global in and has the delay in Andretti Global hurt Colton's chance to go to F one? Um, Colton has surely not lived up to the hype, and at this point, isn't the best driver even in his own team? I think it'd be smarter to invest in Kyle Kirkwood. What What do I know? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say Colton's not the best driver in his team. Um, Again, across a 17-race championship, he was the best of all this year. Not by much, but um, I wouldn't... Yeah. There was certainly some hype around Colton in recent years. He wasn't the one generating it. He wasn't the one saying, I'm better than anybody. But there was certainly a little bit of that applied externally. Um, I look at next year, and I know this isn't your question, but... I look at next year as the real straight up, okay, you've had two underwhelming years. Kyle Kirkwood was the one to deliver wins, at least, for the team. Um, What's your response? Not words, but actions. What is your response? You've got an amazing race engineer. You've got great mechanics. You've got really good race strategists, like, There should be nothing preventing you from being the top driver. And I don't mean one spot ahead of Kirkwood like he was this year, but every opportunity for him to be fifth in the championship or sixth or whatever it is, way up there. Not the first driver in a double-digit championship finishing position. It was there this year and last year, but I think year two with Kirkwood and now Marcus Erickson, 2024 is going to be the most accurate representation of Colton Herta's standings in the paddock that we've ever had. You could draw some of that from this year. Uh, But again, I think Kirkwood, full season with the team now, fully integrated with his race engineer and race strategy. Like, you go, okay, cool. He's up to speed. Uh, Marcus Erickson's coming in brand new to the team, but he's obviously very good. We'll see where that goes. But the Kirkwood versus Herta thing, now that they're both kind of on more experienced playing ground together, this is what I'm looking to twenty twenty four to go. All right, who's the top dog? Um if it's not with Andretti Global in F one, I don't foresee F one happening for Colton. Um whatever shine or buzz that was there is i would say no longer there on the f1 side i just haven't heard his name mentioned in in any sort of who else might be wanting him etc i could be wrong there could be teams that have reached out and inquired but to your point the buzz that was there isn't there that we can't deny but I've seen Colton Herter run third in the championship. So have many others. I've seen him run fifth or fourth or whatever. He did this a couple times. Uh, We know that person is there. It's the, how do you get back to that guy? If you've got the same car, same team, same race engineer, there aren't a lot of variables. I know that there's been a change in race strategist. I know many folks believe, well, just put his father back on the car and Wins start magically happening. I look at Joseph Newgarden, who I know I just mentioned a couple moments ago, really needs to find something different within himself and get back to his more consistent, devastating ways. But this guy has won IndyCar races with, I think, four different race engineers now. He's had multiple race strategists thrown at him, finished whether, again, he's won two championships with Penske, but... He's always a top five guy in the standings, if not top two or three. And with major changes, hey, this guy's a brand new race engineer in IndyCar. He had that in 2022 and won five races with Eric Likely. This year, again, brand new IndyCar race engineer. Right now, you know, realize that. Great experience as an assistant engineer, and all that's wonderful. But yet again, another first-time full-bore race engineer. What does he do? Wins the frickin' Indy 500. Four races total. Is vying for the title up until the last couple of races, right? And he's had Tim Sindrick on the stand. He's had Ron Razuski. He's had a wide variety of folks change of race strategist cannot be the thing where you go, well, that's the reason put Brian Herta back on and Colton will just start winning. No, sorry. Uh, if you're going to be great, you're going to have change, significant change of those you work with. You have to perform as there are crew and engineering and strategy evolutions. And so, not being harsh on Colton, I'm just saying. For those who think, "Well, there's a magic answer to make everything good again," you go, "No. Maybe he leaves Andretti at the end of his contract and goes to another team. He's not gonna. Ha- he's gonna have all new people. You've got to succeed there, or not. And then who you are and your achievements and your place in the sport is totally reframed." So. One more year, Joey, is what I'm looking at. No question, if 2024 is not a return to form for Colton, we're going to have to have a talk about where he's going in the future. Because three years of ninth or tenth place runs, how's this? Who finished 12th? Our pal Felix Rosenquist. Love him. I've never heard anyone say he is as talented as Colton Herta, who is 14th. Right? I realize that's four spots. Before, yeah, four spots behind. Renus VK driving for the much smaller, much less wealthy and resourced Ed Carpenter Racing team. Right? Colton finished with 356 points. Alex Pillow finished with 656 points. That is a full 300 points behind the IndyCar champion. Crazy amount, right? What was Colton at? Again, 356. What was Renus at? With, again, a much smaller team. And I think the team as a whole, we'd look at and say, boy, they had a really terrible, humbling year. Renus finished 14th with 277 points. Right, Like, not all that far from the top Andretti driver. (sighs) Just saying. For his own reputation and future value, Andretti needs to get a lot of their act together and to solve and fix some of the things that I mentioned in Eric's question. But also, (sighs) two years of this, okay, it's feeling, it's feeling a little bit Rossi-esque guy who was a terror and winning a bunch of races and finishing third in the championship or whatever. And then all of a sudden that becomes kind of a, whatever it was, seventh, eighth, ninth in the championship. Happen a couple years in a row and you go, I don't know what's changed, but the guy who scared the hell out of us, who looked like a future five-time IndyCar champion is now kind of welded to the wrong end of the top 10 he did a good job in his first year at Errol McLaren to finish ninth in the standings. Had one podium. No wins. Pato, I realized did not the team did not have any wins whatsoever. Pato. I think six, seven podiums, king of the podiums among the non winners, but like guy was crazy. That's the thing I fear, and I realize I'm going a little longer on this than I intended, but Colton's in that. I really hope 2024 is is much better for you because you're at risk of falling into that zone Rossi did, which is really hard to get out of. Um, Dave Heisen, you get the penultimate question. Marshall, the AeroScreen 2.0 will be lighter. Is it a combination of the PPG screen thickness or pankle improvements and 3D printing capabilities? Um, it's both, Dave. And of my ambitions for the rest of this week, one of them is to finish a... Let me rephrase that. I've only barely started editing the video on that. Uh, but it is to continue starting, getting halfway through and completing. I don't want to just say finished because that makes it sound like I... Got a lot done, but uh, got a video coming on Aeroscreen 2.0. And so we'll be able to go into a lot of depth on that. Look for that on racer.com. Final question goes to our pal Andy Bauer. Marshall, is there any urgency in the part of would-be IndyCar entrants, say Don Cusick, Beth Peretta, HMD, Abel, Vassar, etc., to get an IndyCar entry up and going before any franchise system gets set up, making entry more difficult? Not that I've heard. It's one of those things that is out there as a, it's probably going to happen, but I haven't heard any kind of, and it's on its way for 2025. Now, could it be here in 25? It could. Would I think it might be more of a 26 thing? Probably. Why? Famous last words. Could be totally wrong, but IndyCar has a lot to do in 2024 going hybrid uh there are some other vehicle a lot of other vehicle changes going with it not just stuffing a energy recovery system into the car so a lot of changes coming a lot of costs coming i know teams would probably love to hear that a franchise system is going to be in place and all of a sudden they each entry is going to have some sort of significant value It'd become a commodity that they could sell or trade against or who knows but Again, could be wrong here, Andy, but I do feel like IndyCar might just want to keep things simple and really focus on getting its debut hybrid season in and done and working well. Here's the thing. So we're going to open the season at St. Pete Street Course. Got it. Well, then we wait a little while and we go here and then we go there. And I realize we don't have any ovals before the Indy 500, but we got this big oval, the first oval. For this system is the Indianapolis 500 And we go to more street courses. We go to road courses that are super hilly and lefty and righty. And then we got one that's super flat and not too much of a challenge. But anyways, we go to a lot of different tracks throughout the season. Uh we don't see our we start the season in what early March. We don't see our first oval until the end of May. Uh we don't see our first short oval till what July, I think. Again, I apologize if I'm getting it wrong, but we go to a lot of the unique tracks that make IndyCar such a dynamic thing. We gotta wait a while. So you go, well, okay, so we got this new system. Is it gonna be the same at every track? I don't think so. I think they're gonna right. Say a little more power here, a little less power there. Some tracks are more punishing on the cars than others will running over the rumble strips on the exit of the kink at road atlanta will that send really big harsh high frequency vibrations through the car and mess with the super capacitors somehow or again they've tested at a number of these tracks but i'm just saying there's going to be a significant learning that goes on i think throughout almost the entire season and there could be a showstopper too where a problem is exposed that can only really be found when you've got 27 28 cars on track at the same time and putting down more rubber and more speed and hey we found this thing and how do we react to that there's the potential for all those things so if i'm looking at my to-do list as the owner of indycar i'm saying hey in the background my business people keep working keep developing if things go really smoothly with our first year of hybridization, maybe we could look at unveiling this franchise system a year from now, during the off-season of 2024. So keep working on it. Keep shopping ideas and you name it. But that might be a little bit too much to throw people's ways to deal with while they're handling the not insignificant costs to upgrade all this stuff, to deal with whatever they have to during the season financially. It's a lot A fundamental change in the business structure of IndyCar in its relationship with its teams. Throwing that in along with hybridization feels like too much for 24, but um, I would hope they would press forward on something so that uh, if they are in a place where it would make sense and teams would be able to jump into this without it taxing them and their resources and their mental bandwidths uh, a year from now. Uh, I don't think that'd be a bad thing to prepare for, but also to know that potentially it might need to get tabled for uh, another season. That's all we got, y'all. Appreciate y'all. Show went a little longer than expected. What else is new? Uh, I do enjoy speaking with y'all. So, although sometimes I do try and knock the shows out faster. Um, Sometimes it's just fun to sit and chat and have no real pressing items to have to uh, take me away. And so knowing that we got everything done here at home before I started recording, um, good to know that we could indeed just uh, sit here, fellowship for a little while. So I'm Marshall Pruitt. Thank you for listening to our Marshall Pruitt podcast. A Week in IndyCar Listener Q&A brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com and Discount Tire.